Well, hello everyone, and again, I praise you. Get your Bibles out that you will know without a doubt, this is my Bible. I believe it's God's word. I believe every word is true, and it is all that I need. Will you pray with me, please? Father in heaven, we just come to you today knowing that this lesson is extraordinary, and it is for every one of us. And Lord, my prayer is that you will take this lesson, and even though maybe the conditions of my voice are not so good right now, Lord, we know you can do miraculous things, and we know you can take the message of this these two chapters and just make them come alive and make them so real to our everyday life that we will take a good look today. Lord, we give you praise and we honor you. We adore you. You are the King of Kings and we are in awe. Holy Spirit, we just pray right now that you will just take these words, make them more than words on a page and make them life. And Jesus, we thank you for making salvation possible and we pray this all in your name. Amen. Well, I am so in love with the book of Revelation. I, I again, I just repeat that this is exciting. Um, I pray you are catching on and you love it, and that you are that you are excited with me. This this book gives us hope, and again, just simply just simply think about what this book really is. It's the unveiling. It's the revealing of Jesus. Like the song says, Jesus who died is now glorified. He's king of all kings. That's what we get a glimpse of in this book. And to think and to think that we will be blessed with an extra measure of blessing if we are willing to not only read it, study it, but take it to heart. We are greeted by the Trinity in that first chapter. The Trinity, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, telling us grace and peace to you. We have that grace and peace. What a way to live if we really truly want it. We are reminded also in this first chapter of what Jesus has done. He was the one who loved us so much and freed us from our sins by his blood and then made us a part of his kingdom, and then to serve him. How, how wonderful to be able to think we can serve an almighty God. And then he says, look, someday, someday, I want you to be looking because he's coming back. Jesus is coming back, and every I will see him. He is without beginning. He is without end. He 
is the Almighty. And then we have John who says, I am who I am. And he makes it very clear to you and I that, that he was on the island of Patmos. He was there because he was willing to serve his Savior. Because he knew him so well that he was willing to, instead of going to um, the the attitude of self-pity and why do I have to go through this? Look at all I've done for Jesus. How come I'm having to be on this island of Patmos? Instead, he, he was in the spirit. He was allowing the spirit to overtake his own self, his own emotions, and he was in that beautiful spirit that you and I can be into if we choose. The Holy Spirit can take over our attitudes and our emotions and give us victory and peace in the middle of it all. We hear John say, I heard like a trumpet. Like a trumpet, he heard. It was so clear. And he turned around and he saw, he saw a figure, something real. And he said, it was like the Son of Man. In other words, it was Jesus, I know. But he looked so different and he described him in his robe and sash and hair of white and eyes blazing and feet like bronze and voice like a rushing water. He described him in his mouth a double-edged sword and his face shining like the sun and he fell as though dead. And you heard Jesus say, don't be afraid. I am the one you are looking at. I am the one you think I am. Yes, I was once dead, but I am not anymore. And I never will be again. And I am the one that holds the keys to whether you go to eternal death, if you go to eternal hell or not. It's through me that salvation is real. In me alone, I am the way, the only way. Salvation is found in none other. He said, John, I want you, this is you, this is what I want you to do. I want you to write seven letters to seven churches. And I will tell you exactly what to say. And the reason, because I love those churches so much, and I want them warned, I want them prepared, I want them ready, I want them to realize judgment is coming. And I want them to be so aware. I want them to stop the game playing. I want them to stop being fake. I want them to think I can't see because I can and I know. And 
and I want them to look at their heart. I want them to look at the conditions of their lives. So John, write the letters. Now the church, we know the church is the body of Christ. It's the followers of Christ. Now here, I think, in these two chapters, it's, it's dual-fold, it's double meaning. Not only is it for the churches that we have on every corner, practically, but it's also a look at our own self because we are the church. And so he's saying, okay, churches, take note. Congregations, take note. But also, each and every one of you who claim to be a follower of Christ, take notice. I'm talking to you. So he starts with the church from Ephesus. He calls the churches lampstands. And he's walking among the lampstands. So he is among us. And he calls us lampstands because we are the light. And we carry this light. We actually, I take that back, we really are not the light in and of itself. But yet we carry the light which comes out of us. Jesus is the light and he is in us and that light will come through us. So he's saying, really, are you, are you lighting up the world? Are you doing your job? Are you doing what a lampstand is supposed to do? So it is a real eye-opener. And so he starts and says, the angel, to the angel of the church of Ephesus. And what does he say about the angels? They're the seven stars that he holds in his right hand. And that is really quite precious because he holds the leadership of churches in his hand. He holds individually. He will hold you and me in his right hand. And he's talking to us. And I can't say that and stress it enough, and I pray you catch my intensity here, that he is talking because he means business and loves us so much that he wants us warned and he wants us to come clean. So maybe you have to decide what church you belong to because seven churches, even though they were seven little churches, seven is the complete number. So he's talking to the complete number of, of people who claim to follow Christ. So... I would assume that's you because you're listening. You claim to be a follower of Jesus. And so he then is saying, sit up and take notice. You belong to one of these churches. 
and I'm talking to you. So to the angel of the church of Ephesus, he writes these words. These are the words of him. These are the words of him who holds the seven stars. And I want you to see right now, every time John writes a letter to one of these churches, every time Jesus tells them exactly what to write, he will start. He will start by saying the angel, the, the one in charge, is going to take this message. And, and this message, which basically means every one of us, again, who claims to follow Christ, he says, I want, I'm, a, I'm going to address you, and I'm going to address you by introducing me describing one of the characteristics that John saw in chapter 1. You will notice how every one of those intros fit that particular church. And so he wants us starting right off the bat to say, I am the one that's talking to you and I understand you and know you and I have something to say. And every one of those characteristics will be so identifiable to the particular problem or the particular warning that Jesus gives. So Ephesus, he says, who holds the seven stars in his right hand. And he walks among the seven golden lampstands. So we, we know, the church of Ephesus knows, and if they are sitting there for the first time listening to this letter, and they're thinking, oh, this is un, undeniable Jesus talking. He says, I know your deeds. Ooh, I know your deeds. Well, that might grab their attention, but then he goes on to say, I know your hard work. I know your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them to be false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. I mean, doesn't that sound like one one assured compliment after another? Like, this church is just doing everything right. And I'm sure they're probably sitting there and maybe that's what you think of yourself. And you think, yes, I am doing everything right. And now he is telling me, thank you, bravo. And you're getting maybe a little too lax here. And then that's the problem because then he goes on to say, yet I have this against you. You have forsaken your first love. And that 
is so important. That's why this church is first here, because this is such an important ingredient in our relationship with him. We can, we can do all the motions. We can do all the right thing. And it can, it can just appear that, yes, this, this church or this particular life, if this is you, we're just doing everything right. And yet, he says, you have forsaken. You haven't lost it. You've forsaken it. It was a choice you made. It was something that happened along the way. And it could have been very sly, very slow going. You didn't even realize it. But what you have lost is the main ingredient, which is love, your first love. What is your first love? If you remember the day you realized you were a sinner and you realized you had a Savior, all you had to do was take that walk to the cross. When you realize that the blood was sufficient, that you have been declared righteous, that was an exciting day. And maybe, maybe you all of a sudden started becoming very excited about studying God's word. And maybe you love getting together with other Christians and you love sharing your faith because it was your first love. It's so important. And then something along the way happened. Something like maybe spiritual cockiness. Maybe you forgot who you really were before Christ changed you. You've lost your first love, that sparkle, that excitement. And I went back to 1 Corinthians 13. You know it. But hear what Paul says about love. Because a ch church, a life that has stopped loving with that first kind of love is really doing no good at all. Even though they're in the right motion, doing all the right things. Paul says, if I, if I have not loved, I am like a clanging cymbal. Love is the key ingredient. Love is patient. It's kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. Love never fails. Love never fails. That whole chapter, take the time, go, go to 1 Corinthians 13, read how important the first love is and how that first love must stay continuing. Do you know that your first love can turn into depth of love? 
So says, you haven't lost it. You just walked away from it. You can get it back. Remember the height from which you have fallen. It probably happened so suddenly you didn't even realize. Repent. Repent doesn't just mean you're sorry. Repent means change this. Before judgment starts, before it's too late, repent. Get this cleared up. Do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, that's another thing. Jesus, in every letter he has, John not only introduces him with just the right introduction, but he also makes sure John shows that Jesus is showing the problem. He is ready to show the solution, but he's also ready to show if it doesn't, if you don't obey. If you do not repent, I will come. I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. In other words, I'll just, I'll just make you useless because what, what good are you? You're useless anyway. I'll just take you away and choose someone else for the job because you are not cutting it. If you've lost your first love... If you're just going through the motions and you're not thrilled, if, if, if when I survey the wondrous cross starts to be a whole hum thing, when, when the gospel message is told and you're just saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's saying something is wrong here and you better repent and do what you did at first. And if you don't, I'll remove your lampstand. But, but you have this in your favor. I do see the good things you're doing. You, you hate the practice of the Nicolaitans which I also hate. And you know what the Nicolaitans, if, if I could put it just simply, they were a problem group because you know what they were doing? They were deceiving. They were deceiving. They were, they were, they were, a, they appeared to be a part of the church, but they were deceivers. And they tried to tell people that, oh, I'm not trying to take the gospel away from you. I'm just trying to make it more modern. I'm just, I'm just trying to um, improve it. That's what they were trying to do. And you know, I think we're seeing that today. There are so many Nicolaitans around who are saying, oh, come on, the gospel's good, but come on, we're living, living in 2020, and so let's improve it a little. That let's, let's modernize it a little. And right there it says, Jesus says, I hate that because the gospel cannot be changed. It is complete in and of itself. It does not need to be modernized and it certainly doesn't need to be changed. 
He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The Holy Spirit is trying to communicate this message. Is this you? Only you and the Lord know. Is this you? Have you lost your first love? You've gotten a little spiritually cocky because you thought, well, I know this stuff. I've been in the church. Uh, look at all the good things he said I was doing. But if you've lost that awe, that you, you don't see yourself for what you used to be, always go back and, and remember what you used to be. Don't stay there, but just remind yourself because he changed all that. What you could have been, what you would have been if he hadn't done what he did. And when that message gets too, too just, too ho-hum, then something is wrong, Jesus says. To him who overcomes, overcomes what? That, that spiritual cockiness, that, that, um, that, that forsaking of that excitement and that awe. If you're willing to keep going back to the cross and realize what it did for you, I will give you the right to eat from the tree of life, which is the paradise of God. He's, he's, got, he's got the right. He, he's the only one that does have the right for you and I to eat from that tree of life, eternal life with him. Quite a church, huh? Quite a church. Something to think about. And then to the angel of the church of Smyrna Smyrna. Out of the seven churches, only two were not told to repent. And Smyrna is one of them. But they still needed a letter. They still needed something. And this is why it goes like this. These are the words of him, Jesus, who is the first and the last, who died and came to life again. So look at that introduction. Jesus, who went through so much, so much suffering on your and my behalf, who was persecuted, crucified on a cross, who understands suffering, He says, I know your afflictions, your poverty, yet you are rich. He is talking about, he is talking to the persecuted church. He's talking to the person who, for the sake of Jesus, has to take it under the chin. And we we know it in maybe minor ways, but there are so many people around this world who are suffering and being persecuted and having to hide because of their love for Jesus. 
and he's talking to them. He's talking to, to maybe you who, who just, you're standing up for Jesus and, and you are Maybe you've lost a job because of it. Maybe you've lost friendships. Maybe because you were not willing to back away from what you know is the truth. So it says, I know your afflictions. I, I get it. I see it. I've been through it myself. You, you're thinking you're living in this poverty, but I want you to know you are rich in me. You've got the main thing that you need, and that's me. I know the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. He said, I know, I know that there's people who claim to be Jewish and they even go to the synagogues and they and they um they do all the rituals and or maybe it's the people who are legalistically religious and they're just empty when it comes to Jesus, but boy, they want to carry a big stick and And I know, I know they're not real. They might be in name only. Maybe they're Jews by because they're they're ethnic. They were born one. But they're they don't know me. And yet they march into their churches or synagogues, but I know, I know. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. Boy, he didn't pull the wool over their eyes. He didn't say that it's going to become easy. Oh, it'll become no problem. No, he says, don't be afraid. So to the persecuted church, to the person who's facing persecution, he's telling you, Jesus is telling you do not be afraid. Don't be afraid. Yes, it's not going to be easy. Suffering never is. But I tell you, the devil, the devil will put you to the test and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Now, we don't know if 10 days is literal 10 days or whether it's um, just a number that he uses saying that Yes, suffering suffering happens and and it, it but I still am over I am over that I am over the enemy I am over Satan and I will put a limit on it. To me, that's encouraging when he says, I know, and I know how hot to get the fire, I know how long to let it keep going. I am still the one on the throne. Don't be afraid. Trust me. I've got my hand in this. Be faithful, even to the point of death. Wow. But look, he says, yeah, it might even take your physical life. But look, he comes back and says, 
I will give you the crown of life. The crown was given to an athlete when he finished the course, when he finished his race, and he was given the prize. And he said to them, even if your physical body dies because of this persecution, don't be afraid. Know that I will give you the crown of life, the ultimate prize. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So let the Spirit let you hear. Don't let yourself go to that point of discouragement and fear and panic. This letter was written with not repent. They're not doing anything wrong, but it was a letter to ensure them, be not afraid, I am there with you, and the reward will be way beyond your suffering. He who overcomes, again, who overcomes the natural human desires, if you overcome what you naturally want to go to in times like this, in like fear, he who overcomes that by looking to Jesus and hearing his words, he overcomes will not be hurt at all by the second death. I should say not. He is reassuring them that the second death, which means forever being separated from Jesus, that's what real death is, separated. The second death is so serious because you are ultimately separated forever from the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Just think, that's the ultimate reward, isn't it? Saying to them, you will not, you're, the price, the, your prize is just going to be so worth it. Don't be afraid. And then he goes to the church of Pergamum. To the angel of the church in Pergamum. Right. These are the words of him who has the sharp double-edged sword. So again, another characteristic of what John saw in chapter 1. Jesus says, I know where you live, where Satan has his throne. In other words, this is one worldly place. The culture of the day Human nature is just running rampant. But he's saying to that church, yet you remain true to my name. So what an encouragement. I see what 
kind of sit here living in. You did not renounce your faith in me, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness who was put to death in your city where Satan lives. So he gave them an example of someone who followed Christ in this city and was martyred for it. And they still stood for Christ. And he is encouraging them. But he says in verse 14, Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. And I want you to check it out in your heart. I want you to take a look. Because again, maybe you don't even realize it. So I want to make it so clear to you. So before, before it's too late, before you face me face to face, I want you to get your life right. And none of us knows when that's going to be. So I would say we better sit up and take notice. You do have people in your church, or maybe to an individual, you do have places in your heart. You have people there who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin by eating food sacrificed to idols and by committing sexual immorals. Sexual immortality. So he's saying, you know what? You do, you do have some things wrong. Yeah, you've got, you've got good things going for you. You've made good stands, but, but there's some things that I see that you are, that, that you're getting grabbed by the world. You kind of like the idea of um, what the world is saying. You're letting human nature be such a strong force. You're, you're not fighting that human nature. You're, not, you're listening to that voice of self rather than the voice of wisdom of the spirit. Could that mean, could that mean that, that you're listening because we... We're listening and we're taking advice and we're taking um, behavior from something. Are we taking it from the world standards or are we taking it from God's word? And he said, this is what I see. I see in your life that you still like playing with the world. You're still... You're still believing that the culture of the day is fine, that things change. Oh, I could just go on and on on that one because we've watched, even in churches today, feel that they need to go to the world standards to bring people in. We've, we've kind of succumbed to our human nature and our human self-voice and our own common reasoning and, and the human nature's strong force and the culture of the day. 
And before you know it, we're caught up in whatever we take in comes out of us. And I'm telling you, you put you put materialism and sex together. I'm sorry to be so bold, but you put those two together, you are absolutely swimming upstream. And he is saying, maybe on Sunday you're doing this and such and, and that, but but you you still want to hold on this world and on your own self. You don't like the idea when you're taught that you need to deny yourself and take up the cross of Christ and follow him, the shepherd's voice, and not your own. Likewise, you also have those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. You you are thinking too. Well, yeah, you know the church needs to be needs to um, kind of modernize. It needs to get with the program. So he's saying, you better repent. It doesn't work that way. You can have it both ways. Repent, change. Otherwise, I will soon come to you and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth, which is that double-edged sword, which we said last week doesn't have a back. So no matter where you grab or wherever you grab a a double-edged sword, it's going to prick you. And he's saying, I will come at those of you who who are trying to play both sides and are still loving their hand on this world. They're not totally sold out because they still want to control. And you know what? It's fun out there. Sin is fun. And I, I, I kind of like playing with that. I don't want to look like an oddball. He's saying, I'll come at you with my word. And my word pricks. And it convicts. And it challenges. And he says, he he does that because he loves you and I. And he's saying, I know your deeds. I know what you're playing here. Maybe you've got other people fooled, but you don't have me fooled, and I want you to clean up your act. I want you to do the job of a lampstand. I want you someday to, to realize the crown of life means, means forever with me, to hear the words, well done. Maybe it's just the smile on the Savior's face from approval. He doesn't want us to miss that. And so he is coming down hard. He who has an ear, let him hear. He's not saying you're deaf. He's saying if you want to hear, if you let the double-edged sword start pricking you and you let the Holy Spirit communicate to you, then he says... Things can change. To him who overcomes that, if you you overcome that love for the world, you you accept TV and internet and media. 
You take all that information and you just let it control you. And you believe it all instead of going to my word. He says, to him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna. Oh, oh, you think you need all that. You think, oh, I need to be informed. I need to know. Well, yes, we do to a point. He has given us perfect provision. That's what manna was to the Israelites. Perfect provision. And he said he will give us all the information we need. Who are you listening most to? TV, internet, the media. Who are you listening most to? Or are you listening to God's word? He said, my word is the perfect provision and I will also give him a white stone. A white stone. You know what that referred to back? A white stone was a sign of, of I'm counting you in. You've been counted. It's a sign of acquittal. It's a sign of friendship. It's a sign of I'm drawing you to myself. That was such a beautiful phrase. He said, I will give you a white stone. You're mine. You've been acquitted of all because of what I did for you. He wants a friendship with us. Just think about that. Who do you want to be friends with? With him or with the world? There's only one of two choices. He said, I'll give him a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to him who receives it. And whose name is that? It's just some, probably another name of Jesus. A new name written on it of Jesus. Maybe it's a new name for you and me. A new name he gives us when we are sold out to him and we don't play both, try to play both sides because he's saying, I'm warning you, it doesn't work that way. I have set up my terms. This is the way it works. Whether you like them or not, these are the terms that Jesus set up. This is the book he has for us. And he's saying, you might not like it. It might prick you. Yeah, it's supposed to because he wants us to not miss all what he has for us. Whether you like his terms or not, I can't say it enough. They're his terms. And he has every right to them. Remember, we don't have rights. No, no, we've been created by him. We made bad choices, but he loved us so much to buy us back. But the terms were set. And the church of Thyatira, to the angel of the church of Thyatira, 
these are the words of the Son of God whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. Now, these two characteristics of Jesus with, with blazing eyes. Remember we said last week, blazing eyes. I mean, it's like they pierce you. They go right through you. In other words, he knows. He can see. And the feet as of bronze, like burnished bronze, he's saying, I'm walking with a purpose. He is walking to judgment. And he is saying, if you don't clean up your act, you are going into judgment. I know your deeds. He says, I know your deeds, and, and I want to make sure that that." You don't ever get judged for, for your sins because you come to me and you let me take them. But even though I might not judge you for your sins, you still will stand in judgment for what you have done since you accepted Christ. Paul talks about that. And it is a wake-up call that someday we will stand in front of Jesus even though we might not have him judge us for our sin and send us to hell. He will. He will look at us in our eyes and we will look at him and he means business. What, what have we done with what he has done for us? What have we done with it? And he's saying to the church of Thyatira, I know your deeds, your love, and your faith, your service and perseverance, and that you are now, now doing more than you did at first. He's saying, I've even watched you spiritually grow. Nevertheless, because I am, I, my eyes are blazing through you, I can see. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and by her teaching she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. Here we go. It sounds like the, the previous church, doesn't it? What makes it what would make Thyatira different than Pergamum? Our human nature, believe it or not, wants to go to what we want. I want to do what I want, even though it isn't right, and I know it isn't right. I just want to do it. And we forget to activate the Holy Spirit's power that will help us resist the temptation. I think, I think in Pergamum, they, they didn't care if anybody saw them or not. They just wanted to do what they wanted to do, and so be it. But Thyatira, I think what's different in this church is that they are falling into the same, the same human nature stuff. But this time, they're, they're doing it um, in secret. They know what's wrong, but and they don't want anybody to know. It's kind of like what's going on behind closed doors. 
Jezebel. Doesn't that name alone, it just sounds sneaky and conniving and it sounds wicked. And it can be TV and it can be internet. But this time, we do care what other people think, and we don't want them to know that I have this problem. So I'm just going to do it in secret. Now, this is, this is the difference between the two. And this is so, again, such one of those things that behind closed doors, we can fool people. And again, I, I only only you can answer this between you and the Lord. But just remember, He's got blazing eyes, and He knows you're not fooling Him, even though everybody else doesn't know. But He doesn't want you living like this. I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. So I will. Her on a bed of suffering, I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent of her ways. I will even strike her children dead. Oh my goodness. He is saying, I want you to know this is not getting by me, and there's going to be consequences. And sometimes our consequences. Our, our guilt and our shame affects our children. What we have represented, what we have stood for, it was fake, it was a facade. And we knew we had the hidden sin and we just didn't want to do anything about it because we enjoyed it. Isn't that terrible to say? But we do. But he's saying, I want you to know, it might be a secret, but I know, and there's going to be consequences. In fact, yeah, then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds, and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. I don't think that needs much explaining. It will come out. And it will hurt. Not only you, but others. And a lot of times, it's the ones you love the most who get hurt the most. Now, I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you. I want you to only hold on to what you have until I come. There were some good people in that city. And maybe there's still, there's a lot of good in you, but you've got this secret sin and he is trying to get your attention. And he said, hold on to what you have until I come. What do you have? You've got Jesus. You've got his word. He has given you hope. It's not hopeless. He's given you hope. 
to him who is willing to overcome and, and confess and, and face up and fess up. To him who overcomes, it does my will to the end. I will give authority over the nations. Authority and power that only he can give. And he will rule them with, with an iron scepter. And he will dash them to pieces like pottery. Boy, to the righteous, he will give us all hope. And he will give us this future. But to those who will not listen, he says, I will dash them like a piece of clay against a wall, and they will shatter. I have the authority, and I have received this authority from my father. I guess he's trying to get us to step and take notice and remember that he has blazing eyes, and, and there's going to be consequences, and he comes with those, those feet like bronze to get our attention. I will also give him the one who overcomes and the one who has not fallen to the secrets of Satan, who is really clinging to God's word and being obedient to his word. He says, I will give him the morning star. Revelation 22 calls Jesus the morning star. He will give himself to us, and that's all we need. He was an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to these churches. Ooh. And then to the church of Sardis, to the angel of the church in Sardis, these are the words of him who holds the seven spirits. So again, another characteristic of Jesus, and he's talking about the Holy Spirit here. What's the problem in this church of Sardis? I know, I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up. You know why Jesus uses this characteristic? He says, you know what? You know what? You, you are controlling your life and, and you are not letting the Holy Spirit in for a second. On the day of your salvation, you were given such a gift, the gift of my spirit. And that spirit is to help you live a life that you can't live on your own, that you don't know how to. In this church of Sardis, I, I can't even begin because I know I was one of them. I know I used to be, I used to be this. I, I was raised in a wonderful Christian home. I accepted Jesus as my Savior. I, I had many, many things about me that, that represented Christ well, but I was still, I still wanted to be on the throne of my life. I didn't want to let go because wonder if then what happens in my life isn't what I want. I just want to be able to control what my life is supposed to, what I want it to be and what I want it to accomplish. Totally underestimated. This is a church that I think so many Christians are having trouble with today is that they don't understand how to utilize the Holy Spirit 
He said, yeah, you, I know you're dead. You have a reputation of being alive, but, but you are dead. Wake up. Strengthen what remains is about to die, for I have not found your deeds complete in this sight of my God. You know what? Your walk and your talk don't match. Oh, oh, it does if it fits your little plan the way you want it to go. But what about when, when the plan I have for your life doesn't go the way you want it? So he's saying, I, I don't want you to lose what you have. Because so often when we, when we have a, a, the wrong oppression, impression of who Jesus is, and he's supposed to make me comfortable and happy. And when life doesn't go comfortable and happy, we shake our little fist at him. And some people have even walked away from their faith. They've even walked away from a, a fellowship with Jesus. And, and they get into their own self and saying, wake up, I don't want you to lose that. I don't want you to lose, not lose your salvation, but lose that abundant life. I want you living in joy and peace and contentment and feeling satisfied. And, and I want you to live in the fullness of Christ and what he's done for you. I don't want you to miss that. And that only comes when you surrender to his, his spirit, to the Holy Spirit. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Yeah, a lot of times, isn't that the truth? We hear it. We even receive it. But we don't obey it. Because we don't want to. We don't, we don't want to go there. Because it's not in my little schedule for my life. Oh, surrender? No, thank you. This, who, this is who Jesus is talking to. This Sardis church. Whew. You've heard. You've received. But you haven't obeyed. And that's critical. So he says, repent. You better change your ways. If you do not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what time I will come to you. Now, that could mean that we don't know the day or the hour in which Jesus comes, you know, when he comes back. And, and that is true. In other words, he's saying, you know, wake up. You don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. But he's also, I think, saying, wake up, I will like a thief. Sometimes the way Jesus gets our attention, and it's called those surprises of life. But you and I have a Savior who loves us so much that he will do whatever it takes because he doesn't care whether we're happy or comfortable. He just wants us in the right relationship with him. like a thief and you will not know at what time I will come to you. Yet you do have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me 
See, this is what Jesus wants for the whole church. This is what he wants for you and I. He wants us in that relationship with him. So we walk with him. They will walk with me. That should be something that we want. I want to make sure that... that that, and, uh, and so you say, well, how, how do I get this? How do I, I, how do I walk with him? How do, how do I work the Holy Spirit? And I listen to him more than I listen to my own self. How do I surrender to his will instead of fighting for my own? It's, it comes through study. It comes through his word. And people who still think that they want control of their life, I'm going to say they are scripturally ignorant. They really don't know God's word. They have way too much confidence in themselves. They get too spiritually lazy. Why? Because they don't, they don't know how intense God's word really is and how, how black and white it is. We neglect it. We, don't, we say we don't have time. Oh, that's a whole other lesson, isn't it? We don't have time. He says here, he who, he said, they walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. Don't you want that label? Don't you want that? When, if you wake up and let his spirit take over, just think we can have that fellowship, that walk with Jesus, and, and we are dressed in white because that's the way he sees us. Righteous. Is he made us right and under his spirit's power we are compliant to his word and it says I will never blot out his name from the book of life but will acknowledge his name before my father and his angels See, that, that says to me something that because God so loved the world, I think he loved us all so much that when we, when, we were, when we were made, he put us in his book of life. His intent was that not any perish and that whosoever believes in him won't. But he's trying to shake us up here by saying, I'm telling you, if you aren't real, If you really aren't real, then I'll blot your name out of the book. I always thought for so long it was that when I accepted Jesus, my name went in the book. But according to this, he wants us all to be included because he loves us all. And only those who will not receive his invitation, who will not listen and obey and come to the cross, and accept that grace, that forgiveness. If they choose, if they think, no, I got this, I'm telling you, he'll block your name from the book. That's what it says right there. He who has ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. 
to the church of Philadelphia. This is the second one that they don't need to repent. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia, write, these are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. Remember he said he holds the keys to death and Hades and here he holds the key to David, the key of David. I'm thinking, yes, Jesus is the keeper of the keys. And he is holy and true and it's just, just not simple little characteristics. He is holy and he is true. Remember he says, I am the truth. What he opens, no one can shut. And what he shuts, no one can open. Yeah, he's the keeper of the keys. And what we do with him is decided on when he opens the door, when he shuts the door. I know your deeds. See, I have placed you before an open door that no one can shut. In other words, he's saying, I gave you, I gave you an opportunity. I gave you an opportunity and I know that you have little strength. You know, that's really a good thing. When you have little strength, what happens when, when you don't feel adequate, when you don't feel worthy? Or, then you go to him. He's saying, he's saying to this church, I just, I just love your heart. I love your attitude. I gave you an opportunity here, and I know you don't have a lot. I know you have, I know you have little strength, but I also know that you're gonna, you trust me. Because you've kept my word, you've kept my word, and you've not denied my name. I look at the Church of Philadelphia as one of those little churches, you know, not a not big programs and they don't have a whole lot of technical, they don't, they're just kind of like that little church in the pucks or whatever. Or, or maybe, maybe in individual lives, maybe you're one that, I don't have a whole lot of talent, I, what can I do compared to so-and-so, what can I, He's saying, I, I can see, I know, I know your deeds, and I've given you opportunities, and you've come through, and you, you, I know you seem to have, or I know that you have little strength, and yet you haven't denied my name. I, I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan who claim to be Jews, what what is this? What's the problem with this church? This this church they could be discouraged, maybe. They if you if you aren't careful, you can start comparing yourself to somebody else. And 
this letter had to be written to the Church of Philadelphia because he's saying, I have to encourage you. I've got to show you that I've given you opportunities and you're doing it. And maybe it's not world-renowned. Maybe it's not noticeable by a whole lot of people. Maybe it's behind the scenes. Maybe you're not getting a whole lot of accolades. But I see it. And may, maybe all the, all the big programs and all the big visuals and all that kind of thing. And he says, I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars. I'll make them. Maybe they've put you down. Maybe, maybe they've made you feel inadequate in some way. He says, I'll make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. And since, and since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come upon the whole world to test those who live on this earth. He said, I want you to know, if you hold tight and you don't compare, and if you fulfill the opportunities that I've said before you, even though it's not noticeable, not a lot of big fanfare, you don't have a lot of strength, but yet you have trusted me, I want you to know I will vindicate those who have done wrong, but I also will keep you from the hour of trial I will keep you from, from having to face what the world is going to have to face. I'm coming soon. I'm coming soon. And what does that mean? Well, like I said last week, we don't know, but we know every day it's a day sooner. He said to that church of Philadelphia, to you or to me, if we're battling this particular problem, it's so easy to, to think we aren't adequate. He's saying, you hold on to what you have so that no one can take your crown. You hold on to what you have, and that is me and my word. You hold on to that, and no one will be able to take your crown. I know this is kind of a, oh, I don't mean to minimize this, but um, I remember I, I ran one marathon in my day. And it was, uh, it was a few years ago. And um, my, my one son, he, he gave me that for a Mother's Day present, the registration. Can you believe it? And then he gave me a book um, and, and said, this is how you train for it. And he says, I just don't want you to miss the, the finish. I don't want you to miss what it feels like to finish. Well, and, I mean, I was no spring chicken, but I trained. And, and the day of the marathon came, and I did it. But it was, it was not, I mean, I didn't set any records by any means, and I just wanted to complete it. But they had restrictions that if you didn't follow the pace, if you didn't, didn't meet their criteria, a big orange truck would come and pick you up, and, and you would not get the prize. And the prize was this medal, that, that feeling of, I finished the race, I conquered it. And in some little way, I, I remember that day because I, I remember I was like at mile 15 and, and 18 were a 
couple of bad miles for me. And I remember looking over my shoulder, just thinking, oh, I know I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I'm going to have this orange truck pick me up and I'm not going to get the prize. I'm not going to get my medal. And, and here Jesus is saying, I want to make sure you know that if you hold on, if you hold on, if you keep your pace, if you keep working at this and you keep studying, you will get the prize. You will get the crown of life. I'll see to it. You don't miss it. You do your part. I will see to it. And you know what? Like I said, I I certainly did not come in first by any means, but no orange truck came and picked me up. I kept my pace. In fact, at, at mile um, 13.1, Tom was there, and I remember him shouting at me, are you keeping your pace? Are you keeping your pace? And, and at first I thought, well, that's kind of mean. How come he doesn't encourage me? But he knew I needed to hear that. Keep up your pace, and you will get there. And I'm telling you, there was nothing... My son knew, knew, he knew that it was an experience that I will never forget. I did it. And when they put that, when they put the metal around my, my head, I mean, this man who did that had no idea, but this was such a spiritual, it was such a spiritual lesson for me too. I, I could hear Paul saying, press on, don't look back. Keep moving forward. And then I remember, I remember the words he said to me when he put the metal over my head and he said, well done. Oh, he couldn't have picked better words. That's what we need. He's saying to that church of Philadelphia, I know, I know you're maybe compared to other people, but I don't compare. You are fulfilling the opportunity that I've given you and you will receive the crown of life. In fact, him who overcomes, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. A pillar. That, that, a, a pillar is something that is, that, I don't know, it stays strong. It doesn't crumble. Usually you see pillars holding up buildings. And he's saying, you know what? It's people like you that's going to hold the church up. So when he says here, he says, I will write him on, I will never again will he leave it. I will write unto him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God and the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on him my new name. Again, just think our reward, he will so make it worth our while. We will be a part of the new Jerusalem. We will be given, we will be given, I will write on him my new name. We will have his name imprinted on us. He was an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Finally, to the church of Laodicea. He says, to the angel of the church of Laodicea, and to me, um, this church, this church, they're all important in their own way, but these are the words that amen, 
the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. In other words, you see, I am the amen. I am the creator. I am the ruler. I mean, I don't think you can, you can um, read this and not visualize that. He wants this church to see who they're dealing with. And how they are missing the mark. He says, I know your deeds. I know that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. See, and you're not either hot or cold. And you know, hot, there's, there's um, good things for hot, and there's good things that happen when cold. Like a hot, I like a hot bath. And if it's lukewarm, it doesn't do for me what I need it to do. In a cold glass of water, if it's lukewarm at the faucet, it doesn't do what it's supposed to do. So there's good uses for hot, and there's good uses for cold. And he's saying, I wish you were hot or cold. I, I wish you were, you were good at Take one or the other. Just do something. You're not doing anything. You're not worth it. You're not, you're not doing anything worthwhile. Oh, but they thought they were. But he takes that seriously. He says, look, you say I am rich. I've acquired wealth and you do not need a thing. I, I picture this church as one of those churches that just have plenty of money and they can do anything. They've got so many wonderful programs and they can just do any and everything that they want and, and it's very noticeable. And as long as it has enough money, and i got to tell you honestly, one time I asked a deacon of a church, I asked him, I said, um, how, how is your church doing? How is your church? How do you look at your church? How is, it, how is it doing? And he said this to me, every week I just see if we have enough money. If we have enough money, we're doing fine. That's how he based the condition of his church. And I think this is what, this is what Laodicea thought. Oh, we got plenty of money. We're rich. We've acquired wealth. We don't need a thing. But look at Jesus says, but, and I circle that, but you do not realize that you are wretched. You're pitiful. You're poor. You're blind. And you're naked. See, what's one of the requirements of, of being saved is that is we know we need it. We know that in and of ourselves, we've got to see ourselves the way we truly are. And that's lost and hopeless if it wasn't for amazing grace remember John Newton when he wrote amazing grace how sweet this song that saved a wretch like me you know you have to see yourself as that I counsel you Jesus says I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich you can buy from me no, don't get all worked up thinking, well, I can buy my salvation. I can't buy my salvation. Oh, some people wish they could take their checkbook out. The rich and new ruler did. No, 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 you don't buy your salvation. He says, what I want you to do is buy from me. I want you to buy me. I want you, I want you to surrender. How, what do we buy him with? Our life. 
I want you to, I counsel you. I'm giving you good advice here. I'm counseling you to buy from me gold refined in the fire. I want you to surrender yourself to me. I'm the one that knows. I, I hold the keys. I hold your salvation. I hold everything in my hands. And all you have to do is surrender to me. And you have white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. He's, he's saying to them, you've got big problems here, but I want you to know it isn't hopeless, but just listen up. You're dealing with the creator and the ruler of the world, the amen the faithful and true witness of all of this. I love you and I don't want you to miss. And what, what is this church missing? Everything. They're missing Jesus. To me, that's everything. So be earnest and repent. Repent, change. You've still got time. It's a reason for all these letters before the judgment starts later on in this chapter. He is trying to say, that's why I purposely had Revelation written in this order. Chapter 1 is to give you a general idea, an introduction, the purpose. And, but 2 and 3 are wake-up letters. Before it's too late, and he said, here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If if you've got a choice, if anyone hears my voice, if you choose to hear his voice and you open the door, oh, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. That fellowship, remember we've talked about, he loves to eat with us. It's not the food so much, it's just the fellowship, that relationship. He says, I'm standing at the door. You've got everything going here except me. So I'm a, where am I? Where am I in your church here? Where am I in your life? You're missing me, and I'm standing at the door, but only you can open it. But if you do, it's not too late. If you do open the door, I will come in. kind of thought to myself, before the great tribulation, they got the great invitation. I'm going to say that again. Before the great tribulation, they got the great invitation. Wow. To him who overcomes, who's willing to listen, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne. You know what? This is so beautiful because it doesn't matter. It's like the thief on the cross. It doesn't matter what you've been. It doesn't matter what you've done. He just says, before it's too late, accept me now. Let me into your life. And this is what I will do for you. I love you so much. I will put you right on the throne with me. I will give the right to sit with me on my throne. How just as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. I'll put that all behind. See, that's what, that's what I do. I, I put all sin away. I remember it no more. And we, we will be walking together in this relationship. And, and you can 
even picture that you're sitting with me on the throne doesn't get any closer than that. He was an ear. Let me hear what the Spirit says to these churches. Here's your chance. We have the time. Let's make sure we do with the time that's necessary. Heavenly Father, this this passage, these two chapters, I know it was long and I took the time. But Lord, it's so important that we identify ourselves in, in this, in, these, in one of these two chapters, in one of these churches. What are you trying to say to us that we need to hear? And may we truly want that relationship with you right because we know that you know our deeds and you know our heart. Lord, again, we thank you for loving us so much that you will give us a wake-up call like this. Because like all prophecy, it will be fulfilled to the letter. We watched it happen in the Old Testament and we know it will happen again. So Lord, this isn't meant to scare. It's meant to wake us up. And while we have this moment today, may we make sure our lives are right with you. And we pray it all in our Savior's name who made it possible. Amen.